Welcome to MHM Podcast Network on MovieHouseMemories.com. Podcast for pod people. Our feature presentation begins now. You're listening to Lunchtime Movie Review from LunchtimeMovieReview.com. And we are the children of the 80s. back to another episode of Lunchtime Movie Review, the podcast where we look back at some of our childhood favorites to see if they stand the test of time. I'm Patrick. I'm Chris. And I'm Shane. And this week we are reviewing one of the seminal films, or at least the beginning of the seminal film series from the 1980s, 1984's Police Academy with Steve Gutenberg and a whole bunch of other people. Uh, Kim Cattrall, I guess she's the bit next biggest star in the film. Uh, but Shane, be- is this our first film that you reviewed with us from 1984? I don't remember now. Uh, yes, I think it is. Yeah. Well, welcome to, film. Yeah, welcome to the 1984 Club, because it seems like every other film that we review comes from 1984. <laughs> but, <laughs> but before we get started with the summary of the film, first, a word from our sponsor. This podcast is brought to you by BJ's Executive Podiums and Lecterns. At BJ's Executive Podiums and Lecterns, your pleasure is our job. We feature full floor models aged from the most polished wood. No matter what the event, BJ's offers (laughs) superior comfort for any oration coming your way. Our front panel curtains open smoothly and quietly and keep your goods (laughs) hidden from the audience for that ever-professional appearance. At BJ's Executive Podiums and Lecterns, we make things so easy, even your dad will want to give a speech. Say you heard this ad on Lunchtime Movie Review, and BJ will personally give you a demonstration from any podium of your choosing. All right. Tasteful. (laughs) Police Academy. I I, (laughs) That was a good one, Chris. Police Academy. I have the summary for this one. The year is 1984. And crime has gotten so bad in New York City that the newly elected mayor has raised the white flag and declared that the New York Police Department will now accept all applicants to their police academy. This opens the floodgates to a wave of police candidates that previously would have been banned from application due to being too fat, too psycho, too stupid, or too criminally minded. The situation is so dire that apparently, get this, even even black people are allowed to join. Carrie Mahoney, played by the Goot, is not one of those eager applicants. Mahoney is your general fuck-up who responds poorly to authority and assholes, which of course makes him the perfect candidate for the Academy after he's arrested for trashing a rich dick's car better than Lindsay Lohan on an alcohol binge. Mahoney's father's old friend, Captain Reed of the New York Police Department, gives Mahoney a choice, either go to jail or go to the police academy. Mahoney chooses the Academy falsely believing he can just get himself kicked out and he will be off the hook. Not everyone is happy about the catacall of applicants coming to the Academy. The chief of police and the Academy instructor, Lieutenant Harris are concerned about the lowered requirements. They enlist punky Brewster's dad Commandant Lassard to help implement many, many interesting things. For one, no candidate will be kicked out. They will have to quit. How does this stick it to the mayor? 
I have no fucking idea, but this is the police, but this is a police academy movie, not Amadeus. So just look at the movie and go with it. I think it speaks for itself. Lassard is a pleasant man who loves many, many blowjobs, even those that allegedly come from Mahoney. Lassard disagrees with the chief and Lieutenant Harris and believes the cadets should get a fair chance. However, Harris sets out to break the spirits of the new cadets. His class is made up of a criminal beatbox Jones, a fake ladies' man Martin, or Martin, the trigger-happy Tackleberry, Mahoney's vaguely present love interest Thompson, the squeaky voice Hooks, the requisite fat man Leslie Barber, Barbara, and a silent but giant black man by the name of Hightower. Harris also enlists the aid of two ass-kissing cadets, Copeland and Blanks, to snitch on the other cadets. One of Harris's first assignments for the Academy snitches is to find out where the first cadet weekend party is to be held at. Mahoney gets wise to their plan and sends the men to a gay bar called the Blue Oyster. The Academy training proceeds as expected, and Mahoney continues to try to get tossed out, but he quickly realizes that there is no way he can win. It's at this time that Mahoney also begins to fall in love with Thompson because he is into the Samantha types. Mahoney and Hightower get all ebony and ivory when Mahoney teaches Hightower how to drive in order to pass the Academy driving test, which he passes smoother than the Corys in License to Drive. However, Hightower gets kicked out of the Academy when he overhears Copeland call Hooks the N-dash-dash-dash-dash word, but he didn't say fudge. Hightower flips out, then flips over Copeland's car. Yep, that's right. Hightower gets kicked out despite Harris's plan not to kick cadets out. Remember, it's a police academy movie. Shortly thereafter, Mahoney gets into a fight with Copeland and Blanks when they pick on the helpless Barbara. Mahoney takes the blame for Barbara throwing the first punch, which allows Harris to kick Mahoney out. But before Mahoney can even leave, a riot breaks out in the city. The police dispatch all officers, including the cadets, to keep anyone from escaping New York. Blanks and Copeland run ass first into trouble when their handguns are stolen by a nameless bad guy. However, the two cadet snitches are able to find safety in the arms of their dance partners at the Blue Oyster Bar. Remember, boys, it's always better to give than to receive. Uh, the nameless outlaw from Vassar uses the stolen handguns to kidnap Lieutenant Harris. Only the combined forces of Mahoney and the civilian Hightower, the two men that Harris kicked out, can save him from the armed assailant. Hightower punches out the outlaw quicker than Ray Rice in an elevator, and Hooks finds her big girl voice when she takes him into custody. The film ends with the reinstated Mahoney and Hightower graduating with their class at the Academy. The two redeemed cadets receive medals for their bravery in the riots, and Mahoney gets the added pleasure of a blowjob. Not from Commandant Lassard or his goldfish, but from a good old New York City hooker. I hope it was as much fun for him as it was for Lassard. And that is Police Academy. <laughs> All right. Police Academy released on May 23rd of 1984, the same day as Racing with the Moon, same month as Against All Odds, Repo Man, This is Spinal Tap, Splash, Children of the Corn, Ice Pirates, and Greystoke, The Legend of Tarzan. It grossed. That was a great month. That it was a great month. Uh, the, there's. Uh, it grossed over $81 million. It was the sixth highest grossing film of 1984 behind Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, Gremlins, The Karate Kid, 
and in front of Footloose, Romancing the Stone, and Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock. And I didn't add this to this, but Temple of Doom and uh, Romancing the Stone also came out in May of 1984. So that was an even greater month, Chris. Because it, it was. So... So, how many of those films have we already reviewed? Uh, one, two, three, four, five. No, five. Yeah, five. Five on lunchtime and one on uh, movie house memories. <laughs> so, that was an excellent year. It, 1984 was an excellent year for film, but it's, it's not as excellent as the way we review it because we review everything from 1984, apparently, even the bad ones. Because <laughs> Footloose is not a good film. It is not a good film. The film, uh, my first thoughts when we were we agreed to re- review Police Academy was first, uh, a what is basically become synonymous with bad movies is. And although this isn't necessarily as bad as most of the other police Academy films, it's, uh, I think they started quickly going downhill after this, but do do you guys think of that, this film as that, as that, as a bad film or a bad film series when you think of police Academy? Oh, well, look to me for a good comedy to work. It's not only the writing, it's the chemistry of the players. And I, I thought, even though this is just a ridiculous comedy, uh, it's not a bad movie. It's really funny and sharp. Yeah, I agree with that. I, it's the subsequent films, I think, that have kind of tarnished the original. But the original one really was, I thought it was great. It's Even with um, the, the nudity and the excessive TNA, it's one that I did see as a kid. And um, and. I well besides the the sexual things I mean I thought it was a funny movie and it was a, something you could watch over and over it, I, to me really this series just goes downhill uh, subsequent films you know that's funny you bring up the nudity and that's the one thing I remember because I do remember that the rest of the PG or the rest of the police academy films are all PG thirteen and this was the only R-rated version of it. And as I'm watching it, I'm going, what's really R-rated about it? I mean, there's a little bit of nudity, but not much. It's, it's, it's pretty clean as far as it goes. Uh, uh, the only thing that I could think of was the blowjob scene. I said, because of the fact that uh, I, the implication is Mahoney is giving the, the commandant a blowjob, even though he's not, it was, it was that enough to give it an R rating? Uh, well, over here it was only rated M. Um, obviously, our system is different again, but I think there was the innuendos as well might have contributed to the ratings. Uh, just the ongoing sexual hijinks and breast size jokes and blue oyster. You know, there was a lot happening there. You know, between the lines, if you look closely. Yeah, but blue oyster is a. It comes back in the remaining films. And yeah, they're in all of them, I think. Yeah, I'm pretty sure because I remember the theme being played multiple times in the other films. But <laughs> the uh, the only nudity is the you know you got Mahoney looking into the the women's locker room while drinking the red striped beer, and then you have the beach party, which seems to be really gratuitous and have no point whatsoever. That it's just like okay, let's throw some nudity in here. But uh, it's not really that bad of. A, I was trying. I don't even think they dropped the 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 f bomb at any point in time that I can recall. No, I just rewatched it and there was no f bomb in it throughout the whole thing. Yeah, so I I gotta believe that maybe the nudity put, nudity pushed it over the top, but that the blowjob scene is probably probably was <laughs> at, at, in the nineteen eighty four. That's something that they went okay. We can't we can't do that. You know that. 
I, I, it wasn't I, just a blowjob scene. It was many, 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 blowjobs. many blowjobs. <laughs> so let's just stop and look at this. Um, uh, so, and, and I was trying to think of any other film that I can recall quite a, a blowjob being just get kind of that prominent, not implied, but is this is what is going on. And if it was rated PG or, and I think it's almost everyone I could think of off the top of my head is always R. So maybe, maybe that's what it is. I, yeah, which is weird. And, you know, 30 years later, I think that is kind of innocuous, but. Yeah, but 30 years later, that's still one of the most hilarious scenes. That's, that's true. That's one of the scenes that actually <laughs> works in this film. Now, the obviously in this film, there's a lot of people who become well-known and well-known for this film series, but there is a breakout star in this who actually spins this into a career, and that's Steve Gutenberg or the Goot, as we like to refer to him as. And... I, I didn't recall. You know, I hadn't seen this in probably about twenty years when when I watched it um, the first time for this podcast, and I was kind of surprised at how good he was in it. How he wasn't as you know smart, swarmy. It wasn't as kind of arrogant as I remembered him to be. He was actually kind of he was kind of an affectionate character who was taking it was watching out for everyone else. And I always remember Gutenberg as being kind of a you know skinny guy that you know, wasn't really that wasn't really the hunk, but he was kind of a good looking guy for this particular film. Yeah, I actually like when we first meet Mahoney and he's in the car park and he parks that Trans Am. You, you get a, a sense of his personality right there and then. And you're right, he, he is likable. It, it, obviously, he's the class clown, but he's also really likable in the character that sort of grows on you the more the film goes on. Yeah, I think he's he's kind of like almost a big brother to these people. He's he's kind of the leader of the screw ups. It, in some ways, it's kind of a, a revenge of the nerd sort of thing because these are the supposed outcasts, the the worst of uh, the the police cadets. But um, no, I think for the the part that he was given he he does come off as a very likable guy and not necessarily you know kind of like three men and a baby where he he was just even though that was also an ensemble cast he was a little bit he wasn't really as notable whereas in police academy he was more the forefront because that's pretty much what the story revolved around even though there were sub subplots around it too well you bring up three men and a baby i mean you go back and you look at the you know Gutenberg's career, and he is the probably the '80s icon for film series. I mean, he has four film series that had sequels. Police Academy he does four of those. Uh, Cocoon he does two of those. And I will argue that both of those are ensemble casts. <laughs> He's not necessarily the lead in either one. Three Men and a Baby and Three Men and a Little Lady. And he's even in Short Circuit. And he doesn't come back for the sequel of Short Circuit, but it is a hit film that they do make a sequel for, and he probably had a right to come back to it, but he chose not to. So he is kind of the 80s guy for film series. I mean, there's not a lot of, you know, there's not a lot of film series that the, the main actor kept coming back for like he did. Yeah, that's true. And along the way, he was making a lot of other things uh, that probably weren't as memorable. Uh, I remember him being in a Michael Caine movie called Surrender with Sally Field. Mm -hmm. uh, 
and High Spirits. That was another. It was a ghost comedy, I think, with Peter O'Toole. So Daryl Hannah you know, too. Yeah, Daryl Hannah. So he was around, and I think he did some serious stuff as well. It wasn't all comedies. Uh, there was a thriller called The Bedroom Window. That's a good movie. That is, that is a very good movie. I like The Bedroom Window. Yeah, and that took him out of that realm of comedy, and I think that was probably right in the midst of those Police Academy movies. Only, although I don't think Steve Guttenberg did the first four. Would that be right? Yeah, he, only, he, he finished with Citizens on Patrol and bailed out after that. Yeah. And then, then the lead is uh, ta- not Tackleberry, um, Hightower, pretty much in everything. Although they recast, uh, I think it was, was it Matt McCoy who comes, they cast in kind of the Mahoney part as uh, a new character. But. That's right. In um, the time, I think it's Assignment Miami. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and let's not forget Mission to Moscow. I think Christopher Lee even turns up in that one. Yes. Christopher, I, I think, isn't, isn't that the last one too? The seventh seventh and final one? <laughs> yeah, that was the seventh one. And there was a big gap between six and seven. So I think, you know, that might have, shouldn't have been made when you think about it. But of course there was that gap and I'm not sure that people really were onto the Police Academy movies movies then after so many. Sounds like it's time for a reboot with Seth Rogen again. (laughs) I I hope not. You you joke, but they've been trying to reboot this and kind of relaunch the film series for a while now, but they just have not found the right people to get the job done. You know? Possibly by the time this podcast come out, maybe they have. But it's weird that... I never saw any of the police academies in the theater, never went to the theater to see these films, but I was always excited when they came out on um, VHS and they, they literally released like every year there was one every year. So they didn't spend a lot of time writing. That's for sure. But like this film series and Friday the 13th and nightmare on Elm street, those were the film series that I could count that count on that. There's going to be a new movie this year, regardless. And they would crank it out and they just pumped them out for, you know, and for every year for pretty much the remainder of the eighties. Yeah, there was those silly comedies that they kind of did that with, The Weekend at Bernie's, pretty much anything with the Corys. So, yeah, there it was definitely formulaic comedy that they that they drove into the ground. Uh, and another good thing about them coming out every year, I always enjoyed the, the cover art on the VHS and the posters because they were all uh, painted. They weren't photographs of the actors or anything. They were all painted, and they all looked good, I thought. Yeah, that's where they spent their money was on the the movie poster, not on the script. Because <laughs> so, yeah. the 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 series does get more and more ridiculous as it goes along, and I, you know I barely remember Assignment Miami Beach, and then their City Under Siege, and then ultimately Mission to Moscow, which, if I remember correctly, was made. I can't remember what film critics said. If they ever make another one, um, I will I'll stop reviewing films. And the the producer said I made another one just so that he would stop reviewing films, and he didn't. <laughs> so <laughs> I think I stopped watching them after number three or four, though. I think it ended up getting a little too ridiculous at that point. Nope, I can say oh, I mean, I've seen them all. <laughs> they might be like ridiculous all the way through those sequels, but they still have some very funny moments in them, individual moments. 
if you if you look at it closely, that there is still some gold in there in those sequels. Not quite as good as the the first one, the original is as a whole movie, but in all of those sequels, there's a, there's at least you know three or four laugh out loud moments, which I know is not enough for a whole movie, but if you're a Police Academy fan, there are things in there to like. I remember as a kid from the theme music of the opening credits, they're always the same and it just got me in every time. I, I, I saw them all except the original in the theatre and um, really? yeah, I'm still a fan. Really? That, that, that surprised me that you, you saw them. I don't think I've ever met anybody who saw a Police Academy movie in the theatre. <laughs> Haven't you? You know, I, I actually asked when I was um, a teenager, asked my local theatre to do a movie marathon <laughs> of them, but he refused. <laughs> Now, Chris brought up a point before, and I wanted to kind of come back to it about, you know, is this film, which I think we can all say is 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 not as bad. It's not a horrible film. There's there's things that very easy, very much work in this film. But is, no, I think it's enjoyable from beginning to end. Really, yeah. Is this film yeah. tarnished by what came after it? Is I mean, is that everyone? As I said. This became synonymous with bad movies is, you know, oh, they, they, you know, next thing you know, this actor will be doing police academy movies. I mean, I remember people making jokes about it and everything like that. Do you, do you think this film is just glossed over because everyone thinks of everything that follows this? Uh, I, I personally don't think so. I mean, you brought up Weekend at Bernie's a minute ago, and you, you look at that sequel, that's often regarded to as just a terrible, horrible sequel and bad movie, whereas everyone loves the original. So, no, I think this first Police Academy film, to me, isn't tarnished from its sequels. But then, as I just said, I, I don't mind some of the sequels as well. You know, for for me, when I think about the Police Academies, I think of them as a total... So I don't have them with such reverence. But when I sit down and watch the first one, I like it. Um, I remember all the parts that, you know, I watched infinitely on the HBO loop. And even though I know what's coming in terms of jokes, it's, it's still a very enjoyable movie to me. So I think that there is definitely a stigma attached to the Police Academy series. But the first one, since the first time I saw it tell, uh, I watched it for this review. I, I enjoy it. I like this film. Well, as much and it sounds like at least we we generally enjoyed this film. I, I found a quote from Roger Ebert concerning it, Police Academy, and apparently he was not a fan. Uh, his quote was, "It's really something. It's so bad. Maybe you should pool your money and draw straws and send one of the guys out to rent it so that in the future, whenever you think you're sitting through a bad comedy, he could shake his head and chuckle tolerantly and explain that you don't know what bad is. I mean, that's that's a pretty blistering comment on this film, because as much as I, I do think a lot of the rest of the, the Police Academy films are very subpar and possibly not that good this film isn't that bad it's it's sophomoric it's got you know what my mom would call bathroom humor but it's still i still laughed at certain parts there's still some memorable characters and and they weren't they weren't you know cliche or you know just you know a bastard characterization of themselves which they become in the later films because you know uh, tackleberry just becomes more outlandish with his use of guns and hooks always comes back to start screaming at the end of the film and you know and uh god i can't even remember the guy who does the voices 
I know it's Michael Winslow, but I can't remember his character's name. Michael Winslow always is doing more outlandish uh, voices and characterizations in the remainder of the series, but it's it's not new. At least it was new with this film. It it, it's, it works somewhat in this film. Larvel Jones. Larvel Jones. That's right. Monsignor Larvel Jones. How could I forget that? No, I was just going to say at this point there was many terrible comedies from the 70s. So many, many must, terrible comedies. The, 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 <laughs> he just, this humor must just have gone over his head or he was just being a cranky boy when he wrote this one because it's definitely not the worst comedy of of the 80s. It, it definitely, for a guy of his age, he had to have seen much worse comedies. Exactly. I really respect uh, Roger and I love him as a film critic, but yeah, no, he's to me, he's got this one wrong, unless, like Chris said, he has just been immune to all these comedies that came before it, and he had enough by the time Police Academy came along. All right. I got. I had a topic. I forgot to throw it on the notes, and I noticed that right now, and wanted to talk about the female lead or lack of female lead in Kim Cattrall, who was... An up-and-coming star in the 80s. Obviously, with Sex and the City, she went into a different stratosphere. But, you know, she's the love interest for Steve Gutenberg, who really doesn't have much to do and doesn't doesn't really have kind of... And I know it sounds strange, me saying a character arc for her character in a Police Academy movie. But... She she came she seems standoffish with him and then next thing you know she's flashing her short shorts and her thighs to him through the window and they seem she seems to be interested in him and of course she's gone by the next film. What did you guys think of her in this film? Uh well first of all she caught my eye. She is very, <laughs> very attractive in this. She had everything going for her. But you're right, I think the lack of the female lead here it was on and off, and I think it was just there for eye candy. There was no meaningful relationship ever going to happen there. And, again, I think she might have moved on to other movies rather than a Police Academy sequel, including Mannequin and so forth. She popped up in lots of different movies, Big Trouble in Little China, but I don't know if I could really think take her as a serious relationship lead in this film at all. Well, even though there weren't a whole lot of women in this film, she was kind of lost, and I... I think uh, Sergeant Callahan, uh, with her little story arc with the the Playboy guy, that kind of overtook any real female male uh, romances in this, and um, in the Mahoney Thompson characters couldn't really compete with that. But uh, yeah, she Kim Cattrall was definitely there for for the eye candy. She was '80s hot, and I think she's even 2015 hot. So. All right, you might be alone on that one, but I'll give you that she was '80s hot, and I mean this is, and she's not an unknown actress. She's coming out of Porky's, where she played Lassie and a very memorable role uh, from 1983. And I don't remember that. Well, what is she noted for in that one? She's the one who, when she's having sex with the other, the gym teacher in the men's locker room, who uh, starts screaming and stuff, and that's why her nickname is Lassie. She's howling over the loudspeaker. Yeah. While they're playing basketball. Yeah. Um, uh, You're right. She popped up in so many things. If you, you look back within that period of about 1982, 83, right through to the late 80s, she was in quite a lot of things that were good movies. Yeah. Popular films. Yeah. She was, I mean, she was, she was a very prolific actress. And as you said, like Big Trouble in Little China, which I think is the next year, or maybe, and maybe it is 1984, but I think it's 1985. Mannequin, I think is 86. Uh, Porky's was 83. 
and God, I'm trying to remember what she, you know, she's, she's in the Star Trek six in like 1992. Um, but she, she works through that entire time frame. She, she, she kept appearing in multiple films. So she wasn't like an, she wasn't an unknown actress when she was cast in this film. And, but nor do I think that, you know, they catapulted her into big trouble in little China and things like that because she really didn't do anything in it. She's just, I mean, I guess eye candy would be the best description, but uh, to, be, to be quite honest with you, I, I would prefer Lieutenant, Lieutenant Callahan over uh, her character, Thompson. Yeah, I don't mind Lieutenant Callahan as well. <laughs> S- Sergeant. Sergeant. Okay, sorry. Sergeant, I think she becomes Lieutenant by the end of the series. That's why I'm getting confused. <laughs> Yeah, well, that was Leslie Easterbrook, and she's another actress that has, you know, she pops up in some different things, but, yeah, she saw through the Police Academy series more than some of the other actors did. Yeah, I think she, I think there's only three that finish it. I think it's Jones, Hightower, and her are the only ones who appear in every Police Academy film, if I remember correctly. Tackleberry. Tackleberry. Yeah, Tackleberry's there, too. I forgot about him. Uh, yeah, I just wanted to mention that that whole opening half an hour, it, to me, is hilarious. Even though it's just all short segments introducing the characters, that works. I thought it was really funny how you got a different perspective of each one and then, then they all came together. Then you had the lieutenants and all the, the police trainers standing in there looking over the the whole uh, academy and then saying, and I didn't know at the time what a Johnson was. He's going, <laughs> Johnson's. Johnson's as far as the eye can see. <laughs> I never knew what a Johnson was at that age, but I still thought it was funny. Yeah. Uh, and what a wonderful sight it was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, I mean, Police Academy was that popular, made a huge amount of money. There was, uh, like, rip-offs that came after it, including um, just off the top of my head, Moving Violations. Uh-huh. That was like a, a driving school movie. Uh, Stewardess School, that was about an airline school. The Canadians ripped off Police Academy. They made a movie called Recruits, which was basically the same thing, only had more sex in it. And more recently, Reno 911. I mean, it came much later, but it was still compared to Police Academy by many. No, I, I can see the similarities in it. I mean, you can see it in many of the things that the, the people have made since then. It's just this kind of slapsticks. It's it's definitely been influential to kind of this genre of comedy for, you know, for decades now. Yeah, I think so. And I mean, even those couple of movies I mentioned, especially Moving Violations, is a great film. Chris, anything from you on Police Academy? No, other than um, I have always been disappointed that Steve Gutenberg has pretty much disappeared the way he has from films. I thought that he would be uh, something kind of like John Cusack, who's managed to just eke a consistent living out of maybe not these big blockbusters, but uh, he seems to have pretty much dropped off the face of the earth. The last time I saw him, he's doing some sort of publicity stunt running pantsless through New York City, uh, Central Park. So uh, I've always been uh, surprised at how his career has been very silent these last uh, well, maybe Chris, 15, 20 years. Chris, you've just not been following him closely. First, he was on Dancing with the Stars, so let's not discount that. And I, think, I think that proves my point. <laughs> so, and 
just recently he was on Lava Lanchulas on the Sci-Fi Network. He he is still a working actor, just grinding out, getting, doing the work when he can. And he's been in some movies that I like. I don't know if either one of you has seen Home for the Holidays. It came out in the mid nineties. It was a Jodie Foster film with Holly Hunter and Robert Downey yes. Jr. And he's in that. And I thought he was hilarious in that. I thought he was great in that film. No, I remember that film. That was a great film. I think Jodie Foster may have even directed that. Yeah, she did. So she she didn't act in it at all. She just direct. I think it was her. I think it was her first directing gig. I'm not sure. Maybe Little Man Tay was, but she. It's a, it's an underappreciated uh, Thanksgiving film. You, it's a Thanksgiving film, Chris. You should watch it near Thanksgiving. It is is very very funny. I like I it. Will I, check it out. I actually because I do like him as an actor, and uh, from what I can gather as a person, so I I would have liked to have uh, seen him continue. Yeah. At least I've got John Cusack still making yeah. movies. He could be a dick as a person. I don't know about that, but you no, know, yeah, I, I, I don't know, but he comes off as <laughs> affable on the screen and that's all I care about. He was in a lot I'm of, not gonna beat him in person. He was in a lot of films that I saw in the eighties and I liked in the eighties. So I, I, I do appreciate it. And he, and he, I agree with you. He kind of disappeared in the nineties after, after three men, and a little lady, I cannot think of anything, but, home for the holidays off the top of my head that he was in he just kind of and i and i don't think it was even the curse of police academy because he was still making other films after police academy after he left that series after four films so he left that in like 1987 so he he still made a few movies after that i remember him being in a movie with the olsen twins and oh. first alley it, it could have been called it takes two it, it takes two i actually now i do that came out in the mid 90s too i remember that now yeah, I saw that at the. I remember, I remember that. <laughs> you saw that in the theater. I tell you, I tell you what, guys. I used to see everything I possibly could at the cinema. I even travel to see movies. That's how obsessed I was. So, right. yes, I even saw an Olsen twins movie at yeah. the cinema so with you, Steve Gutenberg. Yeah, so you lost a bet or something? I don't know that someone. No. Made. <laughs> no, no, I, I just. Love movies that much, so I just made sure I saw everything on the big screen. That's the way I preferred it. I worked in a video store. I got to see movies for free, and I never saw that one. (laughs) 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 All right, let's wrap it up. Police Academy, the first one. Does it stand the test of time? Chris? Uh, I think I've already kind of said it uh, in, in this podcast earlier. It was a movie I enjoyed as a kid. As I've grown up, sure, the, the story's a little hokey now. Um, the ending is pretty darn silly. And the, the subsequent Police Academy movies have changed my opinion of the whole series. But it definitely stands the test of time to me because I still enjoy it. And it still makes me laugh. So, yeah, I think it's definitely one to keep, uh, keep watching. Shane. Yeah, I definitely concur with Chris. I really enjoyed it as a kid, and it's just one of my go-to movies, always has been, to put on in the background at home. And like I said earlier, I still enjoy some of the sequels or some parts of the sequels. So for me, the Police Academy original definitely stands the test of time. All right, I'm going to also agree that it does stand the test of time. I did laugh out loud to certain points parts in the film i think a lot of it does work i think the characters are really good and 
it's this was so unique and it is it is very much an ensemble piece although Mahoney is not as prominent as the characters I I originally thought he was is that none of the other characters who basically as I say become basically characterizations of their characters in the remaining films from my memory is on so much or does so so much of their thing that it becomes annoying um like tackleberry or jones um or hooks it's it was fresh and new in this film and that's what i ultimately thought it worked about it plus you know there was little things that i loved like that i kind of threw it in the summary i loved something i never got until i saw just last week when i watched this is the the main thug at the end who's threatening to kill mahoney and harris he's wearing a vassar shirt and i thought that was a little it's like he's wearing a vassar t-shirt which is you know prestige college here in the United States and yet he's supposed to be a criminal thug and I, I thought that was funny you know that, that he would be <laughs> wearing that why would he wear that so uh, so I do think there's a little bit of subtext to the comedy and and uh, a little subversive nature to it and it, it was very entertaining it is uh, I think it's far head and shoulders above the, the remaining sequels who which I think got progressively worse as they came out and in the, the mission in Moscow is so bad I don't even remember what it was about other they were in moscow so yeah i I do think it stands the test of time surprising and i will say surprisingly i i I thought it would not uh in my viewpoint something that we didn't really mention was george uh what is his name george Gaines as commandant lasad i thought that he he was funnier watching it this last time than i did as a kid i don't know if i just appreciated his mannerisms and just how absurd he was now as an adult, but I, I liked his character even better now. No, I, not, he, he seems smarter now as an adult watching it than as a kid. I always mm-hmm. imagined him as a very dumb character, but he seemed to be understand that the comedy and the jokes that were going on around him, like when Harris walks up and he's got the, the shoe polish on his mouth and everything like that, he just kind of laughs and drives off. Realize, he understands what went on, and mm-hmm. I, I thought that there, there's a cleverness to his character that I didn't get when I was a kid. Yeah, oh, he's definitely clever, and it's all in the writing. Like, there's some details, as you said, Patrick. Uh, even making Hightower a florist, yeah, I thought was, <laughs> was amusing. And then all the sound effects from Lavelle Jones. I mean, Michael Winslow from memory, he did a stand-up tour just doing like comedy on stage and sound effects. He made a career out of it. So those details really do work for this film. Yeah. All right. That does it for this week's review of Police Academy. Thanks again for joining us and listening to our little podcast. If you've had a good time, the fun doesn't stop here. You can follow us on Facebook at Lunchtime Movie Review or on Twitter at Lunchtime Movie. On either Facebook or Twitter, you can keep up on our written film reviews, news on upcoming films and Blu-ray releases, information on upcoming podcasts on the MHN Podcast Network, including the number two review, Lunchtime Movie Review, Movie House Memories, Mail Bonding, and Sunday Seconds with the Duke. Additionally, you can follow... And also, at this point, Filmhouse Hustlers will be out starting <laughs> okay. October 3rd. Uh, all right. And Filmhouse Hustlers, because we're cranking them out left and right. I can't even keep up on all the podcasts on this. That's how, that's how big this network's becoming. Additionally, you can follow us on all our little side projects. Chris regularly hosts the Number 2 Review podcast, which can be heard on MHN. And additionally, you can follow him on Twitter, at Haley Creative. Shane writes regularly for SydneyUnleashed.com and is a contributor to CultRadioGoGo.com. You can follow him on Twitter, at Movie 
underscore analyst where you can keep up on his film reviews and celebrity interviews. Finally, if you've enjoyed yourselves and you download us off either iTunes or Stitcher, make sure to rate our podcast on either one of those two platforms. And if you have a chance, write a short review of the podcast. Of course, we always like the reviews that are positive, but we appreciate any feedback that we can get from any listeners of the show. Well, that does it for this episode of Lunchtime Movie Review. Uh, Until next time, I'm Patrick. I'm Chris. I'm Shane, and I'm off to the Blue Oyster. Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you, you don't have to make admissions like that on well, the show. Patrick and I have been waiting here for the last 30 minutes. You better show up. So. All right. <laughs> we got, it's the only time we can say no. Yeah. we got to get out of here right now, and you guys are invited. Move it, move it, move it. This podcast is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. The theme music for Lunchtime Movie Review Fireworks is provided courtesy of Alexander Nakaranda at serpentsoundstudios.com under a Creative Commons Attribution 4.0 license. All original content of this podcast is the intellectual property of MHM Podcast Network, Lunchtime Movie Review and Fuzzy Bunny Slippers Entertainment LLC, unless otherwise noted. 